that we're in the uh, final uh, session of Teaching Changes Lives, and and we, we did this, and we kind of walked through this, because teaching does change lives, that is a, a fact, and we've embarked on this series because our desire is that at City Light, we will be teaching effectively, uh, whether that is in the informal setting, and we talked about this, and I want to remind everyone again, uh, you're always teaching, there's no way to get a, away from that. Uh, You're either teaching informally, which is I call one-on-one or hall interactions. And remember, we talked about that. I want to encourage all of us uh, to be conscious of informal teaching opportunities and and to take advantage of them. So, and as I mentioned, and I always say this every time, not in a creepy way, but you should be connecting uh, with the kids. You should be talking with them. You should be engaging with them because when people come to church as a family, and that's what we are, or, or as scripture uses the other illustration heavily, the body of Christ, we are to be interacting and growing together. And that should not just be, hey, you went to your Sunday school class, good, check mark. But instead, what are they learning and how can you connect and how can you build a relationship? No, you can't build a relationship with every kid that is in the church, but you could build a relationship with a kid that is in the church. And if everyone would do that, we're going to have the, our, our group of kids here growing in Christ. You can build a relationship with somebody else and be teaching, mentoring. And so we talk about being effective in teaching, whether that is informal or formal teaching. When we look at Sunday school or adult Bible fellowship or Awana, and I say etc. that keeps on going through opportunities in the formal setting. And as a church, we want you to be aware of opportunities to teach and take advantage of them, to be conscious of them. It's one of the thoughts I was uh, thinking about this week was we want to be a church that is known for teaching, known for teaching well, known for people growing in Christ. And to do that, it takes the whole church. It's not just going to be a couple Sunday school teachers that do a great job and, and some preaching that hopefully is decent, but instead the whole church coming together and growing together, and we're all to be teaching. I hope some of you, uh, after being in the class, maybe uh, you're thinking, I, I would like to teach in a formal setting. I have a sign-up sheet here, and I'll mention it again as I use my T-Rex arm to pull it up. Um, I'll mention it again. A chance to sign up and say, hey, I'm interested, or at least would like to know more information about teaching, and you put your name down, and it says kids, teens, and adults, and just to give us an idea. And I mentioned this here. Uh, don't, don't think that if you put your name down that it's forever locked in and I'm going to make sure that you're in the four and five-year-old class and you're never getting out of that. Uh, we did that to Amanda Hornbrook and so we don't do that to anyone else. Um, but no, there's opportunity. There's, there's ways to dive in. And, and so this is an interest sheet. This is saying, hey, I would like to talk about this. Uh, we're going to keep pouring into our teachers. We're going to keep trying to improve how well we communicate, how well we teach Uh, and constantly gain skills so that we are teaching the most important truth in the most effective way. I want to keep in mind, and that's what I love putting up here, uh, the word fat. We all need a little bit of fat. I don't know about you, whatever diet you, you get on, there's always a need for good fat. I know that because I've suffered through many diets. Uh, Most of them involve no carbs because you have to fight the diabetes or just don't test, and then you don't have diabetes anymore. That's how I look at it. Um, but, you know, no, no bread, none of this, but you're always allowed to eat an inordinate amount of avocados and eggs. That's basically my diet boils down to that because you need some good uh, fat in there. Well, 
as a church body, we need some good fat as well. And I want to just dive in a little bit. We'll talk at the end. Uh, what are we looking for is faithful, that's critical, available, and teachable. Uh, you'll find, and, and, and maybe this is not something that's uh, glaringly apparent, but there's a lot of people that are available but are neither faithful or teachable. And I say it publicly, I'm not interested in the available person who's not faithful or teachable because they don't do any good. The lack of faithfulness to church sends a message, teaches something very, very clear to everyone that you're in class with that worshiping God is not important. So faithful is critical, available is critical, and teachable. Can we grow? And I hope that as, as a church, we'll always be teachable. When I, we talk about this, we'll always be somewhat dissatisfied with how well we taught, that we always will want to grow in what we're teaching. We will always think, how can I reach that person better? How can I connect on a more personal level? And so we're going to walk through this and, and look at finding faithful, available, teachable, and think about that a little bit. Um, people to be involved in communicating clearly and passionately God's truth. And I want to come back to that because you could go into a teaching conference on, on any subject and they can teach you how to better teach math or electricity or whatever it may be, whatever uh, discipline you're in. And we could talk about teaching that better and we can apply a lot of the principles we're looking at here. But the fact is, is we're talking about communicating God's truth. And as a believer, you are responsible, and that's every believer, to communicate God's truth. And the idea of these past three weeks is saying, how are we going to communicate God's truth more effectively, more clearly, and then more passionately, because that's what we need. And so when we end the morning, as I mentioned, and I'm hoping to not go over like I've done the last two weeks, uh, Heather reprimanded me. She said, I had to entertain 40 kids for an extra five, 10 minutes. Um, and then I have to pay. For it. Just kidding. She didn't make me pay for it this past week. She only hit my shoulder three or four times to <laughs> prove her point that, hey, buddy, <laughs> turn it off at some point. So I said, look, I'm going to end at 10.05. I'm not making any promises. I'm just trying. Um, but either way, we can sign up at the end. I hope if you have questions, you'll talk to me. Uh, have enough gumption to put your name down and just gamble on it, all right? Just see, have a conversation about that because we have a very specific desire. We have areas we do want to grow. I, I want to share that before we dive in uh, to this morning's lesson. We would love, um, I mentioned the four and five-year-old class, unfortunately, but Amanda's been in there for quite some time. I, I would love for her to be able to join Joe with the teens and be able to be a part of that uh, teaching team and have someone fill in four and five-year-olds. We're, we're looking at uh, expanding our adult Bible fellowships and, and, and splitting some of the classes and having more. Uh, we're looking at opportunities in Awana. We've, we've mentioned this many times, and I don't know if I've mentioned it on a Sunday morning, but last year we were running 35 to 40 kids. Uh, our peak night so far this year was 80 kids. We averaged in the 70s. And so God has blessed us with double the growth from, from this past year. And we are looking to try to reach more kids. I'm, I'm hoping to see the Wednesday program grow even more. What does that mean? We need more teachers. Uh, Kendall can probably share with you. She teaches the Cubbies class. Was it 18? Is that the highest number you've had? Uh, who here has ever taught uh, 18, four and five-year-olds chalked up on sugar? 
It's a lot of kids, right, in a room. Well, we, we already know we want to have that class be split, and we want to have a, uh, an opportunity for it to be three-year-olds and four-year-olds to run both years of the Cubbies every year and give opportunity. And so we're excited. Well, we need more teachers. If we could clone Kendall, we would do that, but we can't. So we'll have to use some of y'all. Just kidding. We're, just, we're looking forward to the opportunities that are there. Uh, we're excited about that, um, to be able, uh, we don't take who God sends to our church for granted. Uh, we don't look and say, oh, we must be doing something right because people are showing up. Uh, we look at it as God is sending us people and we better do something right because he sent us people and kids an opportunity to, to be a witness in life. You can talk to some of the Iwana teachers. I think Jason and Chris, you've had the opportunity to teach and they're teaching on Jonah and there's kids in their class that are blown away. They've heard this story. They don't know about the gospel. They don't have a Bible what an opportunity, right, for us to then give them a Bible, to teach them about Christ, to teach the gospel. And so I hope that we can be excited about this, that this is not something we say, well, no, uh, okay, we gotta, I got to have teachers, got to sign up. If that's your mentality, don't sign up. That's what I'm going to say. Don't sign up. But you should be praying about the sin that's in your heart because you need to get over that. And that's kind of the premise. You should have a passion for the gospel and a passion to teach. Why? Because you're a believer. And a believer should want to communicate this to others. And that's some of the idea here. Uh, some of the things that even outside, I've mentioned this before, I would love to see a English as a second language course uh, taught on Wednesday night. Uh, and that's a big undertaking. Well, what do we do? Well, we teach the gospel and we teach English at the same time. An opportunity uh, for those families maybe to come to gain a skill that would be helpful for them. Also hear God's truth, have their kids be in our nurseries and be in Awana and be in Youth 180 and see an opportunity to reach other families. And so we're looking for areas of growth. And these are some things maybe you can be praying about. Uh, I, I do say this, when you sign up, it doesn't mean you say, hey, Kenny, I want to teach uh, 40s and 50s. That I say, okay, yeah, sure, why not? I'll, I'll give you whatever thing you want. You know, It's more saying, where is your interest? And we walk through that and see where the need is and where the interest is and kind of balance it. So that's the driving towards the formal side. I wanted you to see some of the opportunities. I hope everyone here sees the need in the informal teaching and, and Look, discipleship, that is informal teaching in a more maybe formal setting, but it's that one-on-one. -on -one. We're all supposed to be involved in that. And so I want to encourage you uh, to be thinking how to be involved, how to be a part, how to grow what you're doing and how you're teaching. So diving in, try to finish off what we've done. I want to review a few of the concepts and run through them, uh, simplifying it a little bit, just kind of getting a grip of what we're trying to accomplish. If you're going to teach well, if you're going to teach effectively, if you're going to dive in and share God's truth, I'm going to go back through a few of the concepts. Be a learner and cause learning. Be a learner and cause learning. Remember that you must constantly want to grow and you should be constantly growing. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the interesting thing. You want a passion to communicate God's truth, then be learning about God's truth. As you grow in Christ, it will become impossible for you not to teach others. Nobody who studies God's word, who dives in, who takes what Peter says to heart and says, I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody who's growing is saying, you know what? I'm going to grow for myself. Because he's talking about real growth. I'm not talking about the academic style of growth. There are plenty of, of, of professors out there who grow in a knowledge 
a dry analytical look at Scripture where they're cutting it apart and looking at the literature, but it never reaches their heart. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about growing, yes, in your knowledge of what you know, but in how it affects and changes your life. And when you do that, you will be desiring to teach that because Scripture is going to drive you toward it. It's going to give you that passion. Uh, these are some practical things. Be in a habit of reading and studying and then thinking about what you've read and what you've studied. When I did spiritual boot camp, we did God's word. And I, I challenged you one of the challenges. And maybe this is something to be reminded of. I, I mentioned, do you own at least a one volume commentary on scripture? And I had some examples out there that you can use. There's some one volume. There's some two volume ones. And I mentioned, do you at least have that in your home? And then second part was, do you at least read it? Do you at least go into it? Do you read God's word and hit something you don't understand and say, well, I hope sometime they preach about it. But other than that, I'm just going to blow it off and, and not worry about it. Or do we dive into it? And so the idea, and so to put a really practical application, Kenny, how do I read and study? Read your Bible and then buy at least a one-volume commentary or buy one of those huge sets, whatever you prefer, and dive in and understand what you're reading and, and, and figure it out and take time to think about it. We're not just cramming knowledge in, we're, we're, we're processing it. Uh, you should be in the habit of knowing the student. If you want to talk to a third grader, you better know how a third grader thinks. And I say, good luck with that. I have a, I don't even know if I have a third grader. I'm probably have a fourth grader. <laughs> this is where I get in a lot of trouble. Thankfully, Heather's not in here. Uh, too many grades. I have a lot of grades. I do ages 16 down to five right now, um, soon to be six. And so we run the gamut of ages, but if you got to understand where they are intellectually, what they're able to process, you have to understand what their needs are and how they respond. This is in a general format. If you want to talk to kids and actually relate to them and them not say, oh, no, there's that guy again, um, then you've got to understand who they are and, and where they are in life and how you can connect with them. And then if you're teaching a class, and, and, and let's be specific, if you're trying to talk and build a relationship with somebody in church, get to know them personally. Understand where their background is. And see, that's part of learning. Being a learner is saying, I want to know about who I'm teaching. I want to know about their life. I want to know about what's going on and what they're maybe struggling with. Be passionate to connect with them and their needs. Why? And this is because the goal is to cause learning in them. As teachers, we're not focused on what we do, but instead on what the students are doing. Uh, coming back, we're trying to get people to think and we're trying to get people to work. Uh, we're focused on what is absorbed by the student, not on what we've unloaded. I've watched people do this so many times and I've probably been guilty of it as well. You're just unloading everything. You're like, I got through all of that. Well, great. It didn't matter at all because no one absorbed it. And so you are consumed with being a learner, but also with causing learning. You want to evaluate your teaching based on what they know and what they can give back to you, which leads us again to the idea that if you're going to teach, you need to be a communicator and you're going to cause change. And I'm sure you can see that these all overlap. And the last one today will overlap as well. We're addressing the idea of communication and you're not just communicating the content or the concept, but you're, you're communicating emotion and you're driving towards a resulting action 
If you want to look at it, it's the intellectual level, it is the emotional level, and it's the volitional level, the active level. But what are you looking for? You're communicating, but you're making sure that it touches every component of their life. And we recognize that communication is verbal. That's talking or written. And it is also nonverbal, right? It's the actions, it's the movement, and then it's your life. And this comes back to if you're going to teach God's truth, you should be living God's truth. Your communication should be authentic. Nothing is worse, right, than a fraud that stands up and preaches truth but doesn't live that truth. And then when people find that out, what happens to everything they've ever heard from that person? What do they typically do? Throw it out. Not authentic. That's a liar. When you speak, when you're communicating, it needs to not be a performance that's rehearsed. It needs to be you. I think I mentioned this when we're talking about this, but I knew a guy that wanted to copy another preacher. And every time I watched him preach, I'm like, okay, this is a second rate performance because it's not him. It's not who, he's, who, who he is. And I, I mentioned it's okay to learn from good communicators. It's okay to say, hey, I want to make some of their characteristics my characteristics. But when you're just a copy, you're a fraud. You're not authentic. And no one's going to connect with that. Um, you need to have your teaching backed by your Christian character, and they need to see the compassion. And students know if you care about them. If you're just talking at them and you're just going to spin and do what you need to do uh, at some point, and then kids are more in tune to this than adults are, uh, but they know if you care about them. And if you don't care about them, you don't have them. They're not going to listen. And you can't pretend to care. You actually need to care, which, by the way, is commanded in Scripture. If you're not sure if it's commanded in Scripture, go ahead and read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John over and over and over again, and you'll realize that you're commanded to love them. You're commanded to have compassion. And you need to apply what God says to do to the teaching environment and actually care and love the church and love those students, whatever age bracket they may fall in, and have a passion to connect with them. And though we're not performing, we talked about this, you are giving a presentation. Be prepared. Have illustrations, transitions, and a conclusion. Connect to the real-life needs of your listeners. I watch people teach kids, and I'm like, I don't think they care about that application at all because it doesn't affect their life. I heard one guy talk about, you know, the ladies teaching a... Uh, uh, we talked about this 10 or 12 year old class and all she's talking about is getting married. Well, that's because she's single. And yes, all those girls are single, but they're not thinking about getting married. In other words, not connecting to the needs that they have. And that's setting aside our own maybe personal burden and saying, what are the burdens of my students and how can I reach those burdens? Not what I want to say about my life and what I need to apply, but instead knowing what their needs are and applying God's truth for them so that they can take it and, and run with it. Um, we overcome distractions, right? We focus on the ones that we can handle and the ones that are out of our control. Don't worry about them. But the goal of communication is this, that they take what they hear and put it in their own words. If all a listener can do is regurgitate the words that you said, you have not communicated. Because at some point, I can promise you this, they will forget the words that you said. 
But if they can translate what was taught into their own words, it becomes part of their life. It becomes their truth. And that will not be forgotten. Uh, The sermon illustrations and and this, um, I told Heather, she was laughing at me because I got everything to start with the letter A. We encounter arrangement and argument and agony. And that's, we'll go through that. So you'll have the burden of listening to me talk through that. But you're not going to remember all that. Heather says, why do you do that? It's just to help me when I'm talking. But I know for a fact you're not going to remember all that. What I want you to remember is the truth from Job. Because you can't, if you memorize, and I don't think there's any fruit in this, but if you did memorize every one of my outlines, even if you could follow it, right? At some point, you can't remember it all. It's going to leave your brain. It's going to be gone. If you don't take the truth of a sermon and apply it into your own life, translate it, then for, for a fact, maybe a week, maybe if you're super smart, you can hold on to something for three weeks if you wanted to. But if you don't put it into your heart, into your mind, and if it didn't get translated into your life and into your words, then it's gone. There's a need to internalize the message. As a teacher, you're passionate about that. I'm not saying that everyone's going to do this <coughs> and that you can, you can force this on people, but you are consumed with them getting the truth and knowing the truth for themselves. They're going to internalize it. We're going to reach their mind. We need to make sure their mind is awake and alert because if their mind is not awake and alert, learning will not take place. And here we're transitioning to the final statement. And there was a quote by John Milton Gregory. He said this, the inattentive mind neither sees nor hears. And that's the idea. If you don't connect to them, if they don't understand, if they're not thinking, if they're totally disengaged, you might be talking and making noise, but they're not seeing or hearing it. They're not listening to it. And I'm going to say, even if they could spit back the words, because there's plenty of students that can spit back the words. They're super smart. They're bright. You can talk and they'll kick it back. See, I keep referring to other students. I'm pointing to where the kids are. Even some of you might be bright and kick it back, right? It could be possible. We could maybe do that. But if our mind is not engaged, it's lost. It's nothing. And so we come to the last kind of component. Be a motivator. Encourage so they learn and study. Not encourage them to learn and study, but you're going to be a motivator. You're going to encourage. And this is, again, coming all the way back to engaging in your listeners' lives. To not standing on the outside and saying something. We're now connecting. It's the idea of discipleship. You're going to encourage so they learn and study. We want to inspire the student. We want to see their mind moving and wrestling. We want to see them engaged and connected. So many times you'll watch, uh, uh, and I use this illustration with kids oftentimes, the kid will ask a question, and oftentimes the teacher will just shut down that question, thinking the kid is, is moving it off of the main point. And what they're really doing is turning off a mind that was engaged on the topic, that was talking, that cared, and always we're looking for oftentimes is what we want the students to say. We're not looking for their mind to be connected to what we're talking about and asking questions. And we're saying, well, I didn't think of that question. I go back, I can spin it around, but it takes more effort than I can expend with one arm. I go back to the boxes, right? When you're consumed with dumping your product into somebody, 
then you're, you're upset by a question that you didn't think about. But if you're concerned with them learning and growing, you're thrilled by a question that maybe stumps you a little bit, that makes you think, because that's a mind that is wrestling. And, and if you're going to teach well, you are consumed with the mind being engaged and encouraging that thought. Uh, William Arthur Ward stated this, the mediocre teacher tells, the good teacher explains, the great teacher demonstrates, and the superior teacher inspires. And that, I mean, their mind is attached to this truth and they're thinking on it or they're chewing on it. And it's crucial that the student be motivated. Here's the interesting thing. There's two types of motivation. Intrinsic, which is internal motivation, and extrinsic, which is external motivation. And look, if I had my pick, I would love to dive into your mind, maybe it'd be scary, and, uh, and be involved in intrinsic motivation to get into your mind and direct it where it needs to go. But I don't have that luxury. I can't dive directly into your mind and into your heart and be an intrinsic motivator. That comes from you. So intrinsic is that inside motivation. Extrinsic is the one from the outside. And here's the reality. A teacher can only motivate from the outside of the student. I can only feed in. Here's the truth, though. That extrinsic external motivation is only good if it results in internal motivation. That's all that that's a vantage for. So for, for an example, if my external motivation with the Awana kids, when I'm doing silly games and I'm trying to connect or, or let's look at our Awana teachers. If, if Jason is there, the old big old grumpy Jason sitting there in class and the only motivation he brings to his students is fear, external motivation. That doesn't move a kid internally. That doesn't change him or her. You might get what you want out of it, you might get the movement you want. They might sit still. They might raise their hand. They might fill in their paper, but there's no movement in them to change it all. You've used an external motivator that doesn't work. One of the worst ones we use, and we'll talk about this in the church, we use guilt, right? That's what I don't want. I don't want to guilt you into signing up to teach. And I make jokes about that. I say, I don't want to guilt you, but I don't mind doing a little bit. I'm joking when I say it because guess what? Guilt is not the best external motivator to put into somebody that they then suddenly, that's not a good movement. It's not a good trigger. But see, as a teacher, if we don't move with our motivation, external motivation to move the internal motivator inside of the student, then it is a pointless motivator. So how do we motivate? Here's some examples. Um, I pulled one from my own life and you guys can talk. It's okay. I'm asking questions. I wrote some answers down just in case you don't talk, but I really want you to talk. Um, why do I own multiple books on dog training? What motivated those purchases? Bad dog, that could be that way. Um, as some people say, there's no, there's no bad dogs. There's only what, bad owners, but I don't believe that. Go ahead. Um, what, are, what are other some motivators for me? Want to learn to train dogs. Why would I want to learn to train dogs? Because I have dogs. I wrote a few down just for fun, and these are true. I'm a compulsive book buyer, so that's, that's also there. Uh, driven by compulsive dog buying, um, just so you know that there. Um, desire to train, so I have dogs. So if I have a desire to train, I own dogs, and I want dogs to be what? I buy a training book because I want my dogs to obey. So I have a need, right? 
I want my dogs to listen. There's, there's a need there. You want to see need, you watch a desperate parent with a bunch of toddlers, right? In an environment they can't control anymore. And a toddler knows my parents can't control this anymore. Because toddlers are smarter than parents. That's just what happens. Um, as they get older, they get dumber. So I'm getting my teenagers now. I'm like, ah, I'm catching back up to you, you know? Still got a couple young ones that are super bright, and the teenagers are fading off into the distance. Uh, they may think they know everything, but they don't, and we know that now. But um, there's some good things, right? I have, a, I have a desire to train, a need to train. Um, why do we memorize Scripture? Why would you memorize Scripture? What's a motivator to memorize Scripture? To teach, right? What other motivations do you have? To fight, right? Which would come back to a need, right? You say, I need this as a tool I need to go. What other reasons do we have for memorizing Scripture? Commandment, right? So it's obedience. You don't always have a book in hand. We're going to keep, see what we're noticing, what we're hitting to? There's a need. We see a need that keeps kind of rising up. Sadly, sometimes we memorize Scripture. Uh, I put the box checking. I was in the Navigators in college. And so, and I was good at memorization. So that's one of the things I'm not good at retaining all that because I, I, my brother-in-law gave me back my verse packet because I loaned it to him 15 years ago. He's doing it for the teens. And I started looking at the verses that I had memorized and did the whole thing, you know, seven weeks, repeat them, repeat them. And I'm like, wow, I don't know any of these verses anymore. Why? Because it stick with it. Sometimes you memorize because you're checking a box. When I show up a Bible study in college and I'm, I'm box checking, could you memorize scripture out of guilt? Ever been guilted into memorizing scripture or shamed into it? I memorize this because otherwise I'll feel shame. Um, but notice what we're driving towards. It's this idea of need. And then this last one, why do kids do dumb things in front of their friends? I got five kids, so this happens a lot for me. Um, and some kids I fear more than others. My middle son, Trenton, is like, I'm like, oh no, this one, this one will do dumb things in front of friends. I just know that about them, you know. But why would they do that? Why do kids do this? To get a laugh, right? Status, peer pressure. Um, attention. attention is a big one, right? Got to be noticed. They're just being themselves. That's like blaming your own children for their behavior. <laughs> As a parent, we tend to blame the friends, not the child, right? The friends don't share our genetic makeup, and so they must be, they must be at fault there. I've done some, you know, pride. I put pride is there. You're showing off. There's a challenge, status, need for acceptance. But now I want to connect that now. Those are motivations. And I want to drive to one main one that kind of crops up. I buy books on training a dog because I own a dog, and I want a dog to obey, and so I need to know how to train. I memorize scripture because I want to fight. I want to be able to be prepared. I need that scripture to accomplish something. And the last one was just for fun, just to pick on the kids a little since I've been complimenting them so much. Um, but look at that. They do some of these things because they need to feel accepted. They need to, to impress, to gain status. And so we're going to connect that to the classroom. First, I want to mention this, and I, I did a brief mention of it a minute ago, but understand that guilt is not the best motivator. We have used it to an excessive amount. And that doesn't mean we're not guilty of sin, and we are, and, and that we should not feel the guilt of sin. So I'm not trying to remove all guilt. I'm just saying that as we walk into a classroom, guilt is not the best motivator. 
Uh, and then secondly, what I'm hoping you're seeing is as you walk into a classroom and you want to motivate, you are connecting to need. Um, and I'm running out of time already over, overdoing this. So I'm going to keep rushing through. Here's a question. Do you believe that people need the Lord? Who here believes that? Go ahead, make your movement. You can raise your hand. We believe that. Do you think that people know that? Everyone in the world knows that they need the Lord. But is it a need that they have? Yes. And so we're dealing with the idea of a felt need. And all that means is a need that people know. A felt need is if I don't eat for 24 hours, you don't have to tell me that I need food, right? I feel it. I know it. It's a need that's right there. And then there's real needs. And doesn't mean that a felt need's not a real need. There's real needs like people need the Lord that is oftentimes subconscious. They don't know they need the Lord, right? That's why as we come in and we even sing the song, people need the Lord. And you look at that, but they don't know it. It's subconscious. And we're trying to divide up here the types of need. Uh, the second question, do you believe that the people you teach in your class or connect with on a discipleship basis or informally, do they need a better understanding of scripture that they need to apply it more directly to their own lives? Do we believe that? Otherwise, why would we be standing here talking and teaching? And I mentioned this, one of the most frustrating things is to preach and to, and to give a point and I'm not pretending that I'm always clear, but sometimes you know you've been clear, like you're standing up there, you're like, there can't be any confusion about this. And inevitably, I'll have someone explain to me why they're not doing what I just talked about doing from Scripture and tell me why doing something else is the best practice. And nothing makes me want to pound my head against the wall, except for I've seen that and it doesn't work, and so I don't do it. But the idea is nothing's more frustrating than saying, wait a second, God's Word, super clear. How are we arguing this? And who do they argue it with? I find it fascinating. They come talk to me about it. It's like they're trying to prove the point or the opposite of scripture. And I wanted to say, hey, argue with God about this. I'm trying to preach the Bible as the truth. But it's frustrating. Why? Because we want people to hear God's truth and apply it to their lives. Um, here's the problem. And this is why we're dealing with this idea of felt need and the real need that they don't know. And the whole idea as a motivator is we're moving what they really need to the felt need, that they actually understand that there's a need there. People do not realize they need to apply something at the street level of their life. They have a real need, but it's at the subconscious level and they're only aware of their felt need. You're looking at a life and you're saying, this is God's word, this is God's truth, and you need to take God's truth and you need to actually apply it to your situation, but they can't see it. Because it's a subconscious need, we see the real need, but they don't have that feeling that they need it. And so what is the solution? And this is the idea of motivation, not being fat. I keep pointing to the fat. That's funny. It should have spun it around. But the motivation is this. How do I get the real need that they cannot see up to the felt need where they say I have to act? And I, I love the word street level application. How does it apply in my life? was we love to raise our hand and apply things very generally. I think and agree that we need to love God. Great. How does that look in life? More importantly, how does it look in your life? How do you apply it to what you're doing and everything that you're involved in? And so we have to dive in. How do we do that? Well, one, we're teaching scripture. We're teaching truth. Scripture is the motivator. If you're going to remember anything from any lesson or any sermon, let it be God's word. 
Let it be his words. Let it be how it's been written here, because the end result, as I said, memorizing outlines from preachers is not going to result in anything. Recognizing the truth that's in Scripture and knowing His Word is going to change you. And so as we take God's Word and then apply it to their life, that's going to be what drives it up to a felt need. That's not going to happen from a distance. And I keep coming back to this. If you're teaching and want to be involved in teaching and you're going to be involved in formal teaching, then you're also going to be involved in informal teaching. You are going to connect one-on-one. You're going to have to build uh, accountability and you have to intensify your interpersonal relationships with people in your class who you're teaching. You have to have real personal connection. It never will happen from a distance. How do you motivate a student? You have to connect with that student. I don't have time to maybe go through all the depths and I'm going to kind of wrap this up so we can end and maybe chat and you can at least sign up and get a refresh on coffee. Uh, there's a young boy in Awanas that's been in our Awana program for years. Here's what's exciting to me. I, and when I, let me describe him a little bit. I would say that behaviorally, he is not the easiest. Is that fair to say? Probably would say he's difficult. Uh, he does some off-the-wall behavior. I mean, just random things. You're like, what were you thinking when you did this? Like, what, what, what entered your mind? You're not even disobeying normal. You're disobeying in the weirdest of ways and at the weirdest of times. And he struggled. He, he couldn't listen. He couldn't be, be quiet in class. He was having a struggle. And then I watched one person and then another person. I've seen this happen now twice. Um, as they connected with this boy on a personal level. And each of these teachers teach with a different style, connect in a different way. So there's not like, oh, that's the way to connect to troubled kids, or that's the way to to connect with that type of of boy or that type of uh, of behavior. Both connected in completely different ways. But what changed his behavior and his ability to hear God's truth and to actually think about it was the relationship that he had with two different teachers. Does it mean when he comes in, he's perfect? Well, absolutely not. But it used to be when I thought, like, if, if he signed up to go to camp, we thought, oh, man, I mean, the camp is going to boot us out if this kid goes. Like, that's, that's where we were with him mentally. And now I think, man, he'd do great at camp. He could function. You know, I know why? Two teachers, completely different, have connected to him on a personal level. Now, they're not always faithful on Wednesday night. You know what's fascinating? go three weeks and he doesn't show up and he comes back and I watch him going like a wild animal in a cage. And it takes almost all night or maybe multiple nights for him to reconnect. You know what brings him back to learning and listening to God's truth and and applying it to his life? Teachers that have a connection to him. They ground him. It's not the amount of candy that I'm going to hand out. It's not the amount of like, hey, we're going to get your parents. You're not going to be allowed to be here. None of that works. It doesn't mean that we don't have discipline and correction in Awanas. We do. That's a part of teaching. There's structure and framework. But what brings him back, what motivates him, the compassion and personal care from teachers. And again, what's fascinating to me is that over the years, I've watched two very different teachers interact in completely different ways (coughs) to the same effect. They reached him. They communicated. Why? They encouraged so that he would learn and study. They connected. And so here's kind of the the closing idea 
is recognizing as teachers, we are instruments of change in the Holy Spirit's hands. If you get consumed with how charismatic you are, how amazing you are, what you can pull off or what you can do, you're going to get caught up in self-worship. You're going to be caught. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be charismatic and work on your illustrations and work on your presentation. Be authentic and, and grow. I mean, if you stand in front of people and you mumble like this and you knock, you're not going to want to listen to me, I guarantee you. So there has to be some component of this you move out, but, but recognizing something, we are instruments of change in the Holy Spirit's hands, and this is what you need to have. This is a quote from a, from a person who says this, I have an incurable confidence in the Holy Spirit's ability to change people. So if I am an instrument of change in the Holy Spirit's hands and I have confidence in the Holy Spirit's ability to change people, well, now as you dive in to what you're doing, you understand the opportunity that teaching is and the responsibility that teaching is. You are being used by the Holy Spirit, who is the only one capable of that change, and you're being used by Him to bring people to Christ, to grow people in Christ, you're an instrument in his hands. So I put here, are we ready to be a motivator to encourage so that learning and growth can take place? Here's my boil down application and I'll end three minutes late unless my watch is slow. This is one of the watches where you have to move your hand. And so I set it in the morning, but apparently I don't move enough in the morning. So it gets slower and slower. But either way, no more about the watch. Let me boil down three weeks of teaching. What's the main component? Essential to teaching that changes lives, a passion to communicate, and specifically a passion to communicate God's truth. And so Howard Hendricks, this guy I've mentioned before, he notes this, my heart's great concern for you is that God will give you a passion that will never die, a passion to communicate, because I've discovered that when I find a person who really gets a passion to communicate, he or she will go to any limit to accomplish that objective. And so that's the idea. Will you be passionate about communicating God's truth? And then will you be faithful, available, teachable? And again, I, I mentioned that passion because that deals with the formal and the informal. We want passionate people teaching here at City Light in all levels, both formal and informal. So I want to mention this, not that you have to be like lead the charge coming forward, but if you're interested in teaching on the formal level, Maybe you're interested in more information. I hope you'll come sign this and let me know where your interest is. And as God opens up opportunity and possibilities for us that we can plug you in and, and start working, we would like to do that. We would talk to you, but we're not going to call you and say, hey, by the way, you signed the sheet. And so we just signed you up for this class. You're in it. This is a conversation we'll have. Um, I hope that we'll, if nothing else, there'll be a prodding in all of our lives uh, to consciously think when you walk through the doors and in life, how am I teaching? How am I reaching? Am I communicating God's truth uh, to the kids I see in the hallway? Am I talking to them? Am I trying to engage them about what, what God is teaching? If you're sitting in a Sunday school class and you walk out, guess what? Those kids, 99% of the time, we've studied the exact same lesson. We do that a bit on purpose so that you can dialogue with those kids. I always said it was great for parents because I can ask my kids what they learned. Uh, and I'll get the same answer you get initially. God, Jesus, cross. Those are all the quintessential kid answers. 
But I know what they learned. I know they've been in Acts. I know they talked about Paul on the road to Damascus. I know they, they heard about him getting knocked off his horse with a bright light. I know that. And so I can start digging for more. And I hope that you'll take that charge and you'll go and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to try to connect and build a relationship with, with a kid or two or a teen. Pick, pick the real aliens, right? Go with the teenagers and see if you can connect to them and talk with them and, and mentor them and grow. Um, we're, we're looking for ways that we can change lives and teaching changes lives. And you are a teacher. Uh, hope now we can kind of split up. There'll be a rig race to sign up on the sheet. Just kidding, but hopefully somebody does. Uh, otherwise, I'll fill your name in. That's my play on guilt. Um, but sign up here. If you have any questions, I hope you'll ask me. Uh, don't be shy about asking about teaching and what maybe is going on and what you what, what maybe thoughts you have or concerns you have. Um, there's no... Um, I can't go against my own advice. I always hear people say, there's no such thing as a dumb question. There really is. So I, I, I can't say that. That's a lie. But the worst question to ask is the unasked question. If you don't ask it, it sits there. You don't know. You don't feel it out. So I would say ask away, ask questions, find out. But, but I'm here. Answer those questions at any time. Uh, catch Theron. Uh, even catch other people working in ministries and ask them what's going on, what it's about. But I hope that you'll take that to heart and kind of uh, think through that.